United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. Belkis Amadi is Senior Program Officer for the United States Institute of Peace, here to discuss women's rights in Afghanistan, and hopefully her own experiences there. Belkis, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Really good to have you. Um, I, I note that you were in Afghanistan from 2006 to 2009. Seems to me that was a time of some great improvements for women. Indeed, yes. I was just talking to someone the other day. Those were the days that we could just walk around in the city and go shopping and do stuff like normal people. Right. Sit in a cafe, go to school, have a job. Normal stuff. Those are considered normal stuff. Um, very distant right now. It's it's terrible to think of the advances and then the terrible setback for Afghan women. Uh, don't get me started on that. I can go on <laughs> for hours on that. I mean, it, what the Taliban is doing, it, it just uh, and and of course, part of part of the shame of it is U.S. promises unfulfilled, and well, and world promises to Afghanistan really unfulfilled. Uh, uh, yes, yes. What Taliban are doing, basically trying to erase women from the society. Uh, I, I've been on your shows before and we have talked about the gains of Afghan women in the past 20 years or even more, longer than 20 years. Mm -hmm. The legal rights, the fact that the constitution of the country recognized women as equal citizens of the country. So right now, that's gone. Family laws that provided some level of protection to women, gone. Elimination of violence against women law that was put in place to uh, support and protect women, gone. That does not exist. The National Action Plan for the implementation of the UN Security Council Resolution 1325 on women, peace and security does not exist anymore. Meanwhile, the um, pe yeah. I'm sorry, Belkis, the, no, the, no. Pe the people are starving. The people are starving, uh, especially women, because they don't have opportunities to earn an income, do the jobs that they have prepared for for so many years. Uh, uh, if you recall, in one of uh, the previous programs I was in, I talked about the number of judges, mm -hmm. prosecutors, defense lawyers, and police and army. 6,000 women served in these entities. 1,000 journalists. I'm talking about women alone. And more than 1,000 women owned small and medium businesses that created 80,000 jobs for men and women. Invested their own money, $70 million dollars. None of those exist right now. Women served as ministers, as ambassadors, as legislators. 
You know, we were speaking on the show recently with an Afghan journalist and uh, about how perhaps the greatest metaphor for this is how in Kabul there was a, um, uh, like a Ministry of Women or, or Department of Women's Rights. It was a, an agency devoted to the advancement of women in Afghanistan and achieving that. And that has been emptied, you know, stripped of all meaning and is now the Ministry of Vice and Virtue, which enforces these terrible laws against women, even riding in a taxi with a man, not a family member. That was, in fact, one of the first decisions Taliban made to uh, replace the Ministry of Women's Affairs and all the departments throughout the country with their Ministry of Vice and Virtue. By the way, Taliban are the only creatures on the face of the earth who believe that there has to be a ministry dedicated to vice and virtue. Mm -hmm. And yet they can't govern. And they, you know, I think what U.S. policymakers are struggling with is obviously the U.S. does have a responsibility to, to Afghanistan, but how do you help the people without helping the Taliban? I believe there are different ways to do that. Uh, we just have to be creative and think out of the box. Mm-hmm. And there are certain decisions that uh, require, uh, how should I put it in a more diplomatic way, decisive <laughs> decision, mm. such as targeted sanction on Taliban leaders. This current sanction hurts Afghan people more than the Taliban. Taliban make money, they have revenue. They, they are not hurt. So my suggestion would be, uh, strongly, of course, to target sanctions on Taliban leaders. Mm -hmm. They have businesses outside the country. They have bank accounts everywhere. Freeze their bank accounts so they feel the pinch, not the people. That's so interesting because, you know, they seem so primitive. You never think of those guys as having foreign investments. Uh, They like to be perceived that way. But um, they are, at the end of the day, they are human beings. They also have uh, needs to fulfill. And they have lived, the leaders have lived out of, outside the country for years and years. So, I mean, how do you survive in a place like Pakistan if you don't have an income? And if you don't have a bank account? They, ha- they own houses. They own properties in different countries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's ways to go after them that are meaningful. Uh, that would be one of them. And then reinstate travel ban. There's, we live in the 21st century. You don't have to meet face and face. You don't have to meet or travel thousands of miles, by the way, in private jets and business class mm-hmm. in order to go and meet with an official in Qatar or Uh, Uzbekistan or somewhere else. During the pandemic, we have been meeting. We continued living, conducted businesses through Zoom and so many other tools. Why can't the Taliban do that? And if if there is an argument that, oh, well, certain things have to be discussed in person and so on, yes, do that. For that specific meeting, bring them out and then let them go back and let them travel like, like economy class. 
who needs who in their right mind would decide to send a private jet to pick up Taliban from Kabul and take them to Norway, to Qatar and other places. Belkis, where do you think the situation is heading in Afghanistan? Uh, not well. Uh, let's start with the humanitarian crisis, both uh, man-created, by man I mean Taliban-created, and also by natural disasters. You heard about the earthquake mm-hmm. a few months ago, and now uh, flash floods everywhere uh, displaced thousands and thousands of people. Uh, it's looking really grim. It requires out-of-the-box thinking and decisions. And um, Taliban's sympathizers and supporters in Afghanistan, outside Afghanistan, they have to be pressurized. Um, I, I can name Pakistan to begin with. I can name <laughs> Qatar <laughs> and other countries. Yeah. Of course, the return of al-Qaeda or the resumption of al-Qaeda activities in Afghanistan is worrisome as well. Something the Taliban denied for years and years. And there you go. Taliban leader, uh, Al-Qaeda leader shows up mm-hmm. uh, under their nose. Right. And, and, and they still deny his existence. I mean, how do you deal with people with so many lies? Uh, they're governing based on lies, basically. Well, in fact, I take it back. They're ruling. They're not governing. Because mm-hmm. to govern, you have to have certain skills and resources. Taliban have replaced every single judge in Afghanistan with their own mullahs. The majority of them have no legal background. They don't even know the constitution of the country, which is, by the way, suspended. Uh, the minister of health is a mullah. The Minister of Technology is a mullah. How do you govern? You don't. I mean, as you say, it's not governance. It is merely rule. Governance, you have to have values. You have to have, right, there has to be more to it than just authority. But that's all they have is authority. Belkis Amadi, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thank you for having me. Good to have you. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.